Hey folks, it's Jeremy Kirkland. You're listening to Blamo. First off, I don't know I don't know how much of this you can hear. It's probably a bit noisy. I might really have to up the uh, the noise cancellation preamp or whatever I'm doing with this. Because my, my kids are upstairs right now as I'm trying to record, and they are smashing the shit out of everything I own. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Being a parent is great, but sometimes it sucks. It, that's not why you're here. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't I don't have any. There's no other time for me to do this because I always like to do these, you know, just the night before the new pod goes out. You know, I like to keep it fresh, keep it current. So uh, while they're doing Lord of the Flies upstairs, I figured uh, let's record the intro for tomorrow's pod. Few updates uh, on that note. Well, we got some special merch, a little clothing project launching in a couple weeks. It's good. I like it. I like it a lot. It was one of those things that I was talking to a friend. He owns a brand and I was telling him about something I wanted to do. And he's like, oh, dude, we could do that. And I'm like, wait, what? And I've already bought tons of his stuff over the years. And it's so we did it. It's great. I got the sample. Um, and I probably I want to say everything. I want to say it all. I'm bad at keeping secrets, but, you know, whatever. I don't want to jinx anything. So forget all that. Anyway, big pod this week with comedian Jay Jordan. Um, he's a cool guy. I I met him when I performed on Adam Pally's Adam Pally and Friends show uh, a while back at Bell House. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, that was a whole other can of worms. I played some songs from my old band. That's a that's another story. But Adam's show, uh, Adam Pally and Friends, he's got a few guests that come in. And one of those was comedian Jay Jordan. And uh, you might know Jay from some viral bit or something he's done on social media where you've just probably found him on your phone. But He's incredibly funny. I'm so glad he's here, and uh, we, we get into it. Jay and I discuss Coach Prime and fashion and football, why he loves Tyler the Creator, bad fits for comedy specials, too many pairs of 990s, you know who you are, Jimmy Fallon, brands he's into, and his current stand-up tour. Let's go. You're a football fan, right? I'm a, I'm like a, an okay football fan. I like football because as a queer person, you get to like obsess about things. And one cool thing about sports is that there are tons of categories. I always say they're like different types of like queer people and you kind of figure out what your niche queer thing is going to be. Like, are you like an animal <laughs> okay. queer person? Oh, are I had no like idea about this. A music queer person? Okay. Are you like a comics queer? Are you like a, this specific area of sports? Like subs, the subsect of sports gays especially now like millennial sports gays is like is because we all went to like a big state school we went to like a went to university where you went to Ole Miss I went to Ole Miss and I went to Alabama so football was something that like you were steeped in but then also around seventh grade in my growing up around seventh grade every boy just start to watch sports center you just knew you had to watch sports center before you came to school so people could have something to talk about. You'd watch other TV shows and stuff, but my friends Eric and Evan and Christian and Ford. Are you still friends we, with them? I'm still close with with like two of those people. Oh. Um, but I still remember being like, oh, we have to watch sport. Like it was extra homework. It was extra homework watching Sports Center to talk about sports. And because like 
it was before everyone had like their own podcast. So like what you were doing <laughs> essentially was like a little mini pod about the sports highlights that you just saw that right. morning. You're like, oh, here's my here's my Ken Griffey take. Right. Yeah. <laughs> With me, I was a big I was a big NBA guy before I was a, a big NFL guy. But right now, I think that Travis Kelsey, because he's on a good enough team, because he plays he plays tight end and tight end over the past couple of years and this is sort of like fashion this is actually close this is related to fashion all right so tight ends have become sexier have become leaner have become faster have become more popular over the past 20 years like you go back from like someone like Tony Gonzalez all the way up to a Travis Kelsey and you look at it and you go why and it's because now they've just become bigger receivers so it's kind of the same way that like NFL players wanted to get cooler and sexier and become fashion icons. You have people like Odell Beckham Jr. Yeah. You have like fashion, like fashion girls. Like the like people truly being like, oh yeah, I'm a football player and I have to wear a helmet all the time. But the minute this helmet comes off, you're gonna know who I am. Right. And so Travis Kelsey kind of occupied that spot. He has a podcast too, actually. Yeah, he has a brother. podcast with yeah. his brother. He was like kind of fashion forward. He was dating like a really cool girl. And he was also like popular for that. Like he dresses kind of cool. He has like this, he has like this like mix of like white boy swag and like still kind of like down home appeal that like people really enjoy. So like as tight ends got sexier, you can see it reflected through like NFL clothing choices too. Oh, damn. Yeah. I, I know the big stuff that everyone else were talking about was with, uh, with, with Deion Sanders yeah. as a coach now. And he's like breaking all these, you know, I'm air quoting that word, like all these like uniform things of how he dresses and how he speaks to players. Yes. And his son's the freaking corner. Like, yes. Like all this stuff that people are like, oh, I'm, I mean, it's like the NFL, which in my head, I feel like is the more rebellious thing, but obviously not given the fact of like whether or not you stand for a, a national anthem or whatever. But. And there's like a, <laughs> And there's like a combination of like, it's the, it's, it is like a bit of like old school Dion coming back, but as a coach. So he's still like, people call him coach prime. Like, yeah. Co- like for prime time, Dion. Like, so he's made things cooler. He's made things blacker. He's made Colorado like the new school that like every black celebrity wants to go and like support the same way that like Georgetown was kind of like this the basketball team Georgetown the Hoyas and then like Miami was kind of like that for a little bit yeah smoking yeah every now and then you have like with yeah every now and then you have like a team and like black celebrities like hip-hop and now like influencers just everyone's kind of like okay like this is our unofficial team now and when that happens it happens in an instant and you really can't decide how. But when you have like a really cool coach, when you have like two really cool dynamic players, one of whom happens to be the coach's son, who like <laughs> is like swagged out and has like this amazing chain and has like a crazy car. And because like they came from Jackson State, they came from an HBCU like in yeah. Mississippi. My mom went to Jackson State. My sister-in-law went to Jackson State. Oh, man. So like, well, wait, why didn't you go to Jackson State? I went to Ole Miss because they offered me the most money. Bingo. So, okay. <laughs> that's also why I went to Alabama. Like, both of those schools gave me the most money. So I was happy. Okay. Sorry, I derailed your, no, no, no. your discussion, but I was like, oh, yeah. No, but I think that, like, even right now, when we look at, like, fashion, like, the big, the big dust up last week was that, like, the coach for Colorado State was like, you got to take off your sunglasses when you talk yeah. to people. Yeah. 
And that's like rooted in a bunch of like respectability politics and also like sunglasses being disrespectful during interviews. But you're like, I mean, it's sunglasses. So then for the next week, what did Deion Sanders do? What did Coach Prime do? He just gave people his sunglasses brand. It's just like <laughs> always thinking of branding. He gave the the Rock was on college game day wearing sunglasses. Deion Sanders gave him a different pair of sunglasses to wear, and he took them off and put them on. And just it's like this cool factor that like once you can establish it, like you got it, you like have it. I feel like that's that's the weirdest thing because like things like football, baseball is like the best case example right now where so many rules. Yeah, well, there's so many rules, and also it's in a way it's dying. Like yeah. baseball doesn't have any superstars. Like Ken Griffey is not there. Like there's, you you don't have Bo Jackson. You don't yeah. have any sort of like cool athlete that transcends the sports and attracts youth. And because of baseball and all these kind of like, I know they shortened the, the, the game, yeah. which is, which is cool. So they made the game quicker, but like the sport itself does not have the ascension of this, you know, quote, great American pastime. They're trying to do it again. I think there are three players. There's one for the Marlins. There's one for the angels. And then of course, like Aaron judge, if we're talking about Yankee players who can kind of like transcend and like make people pay attention to baseball again. Cause what happens is it happened kind of with like Bryce in the center. It kind of, it happened. But he wasn't doing anything outside of the that, sport. That's the thing. Yeah. Cause like they'll get the SI cover. They'll like be an insane athlete. They'll get the big contract. Yeah. And then they just won't turn it. There's just not, you know what? None of them wanted to fuck Taylor Swift. That's the thing you got to do. MLB. Find someone to have sex with a pop diva. You have to start hooking up with pop stars. That's actually really good advice. Well, you want to. Well, also, I think that NFL and NBA players, like, they kind of are usually in the mix, both mm -hmm. in the good and the bad. Like, they're both, like, at the parties when they're supposed to be and at the parties when they're not supposed to be. So that's yeah. part of it. And I think uh, Major League Baseball kind of keeps a tighter rein on those boys. And, like, even, like, the Yankees. The rules? The rules? Isn't it, like, no facial hair? No Was, facial that hair. Yeah, that's dumb. You can grow a mustache. You can't grow stubble or a beard. If you want to have facial hair, it needs to be respectable. Like, a respectable mustache the haircuts like it's very i mean the rules that are established some of which are unwritten some are just club rules but that's like tied to what you were talking about how you're like oh this is kind of old yeah i mean i it's like especially none of these guys are fashion dudes no. like i'm trying to think when was the last time i mean i guess gq wrote about otani which because he's just a yeah. behemoth, but he's injured right now which is kind of a bummer but like what what are the other athletes that people want to dress up and be like there's well, no bow nose well because <laughs> soccer took that spot like americans can only think about three sports at a time yeah touche well now it's f1 are you a racing dude no but that saw i mean i know who like here's how big it is i know who lewis hamilton is okay like i know about his watch collection like i know yeah. that people think He's very handsome. I also know that people love figuring out what he's going to do, like, fashion-wise. So, like, I know it. And because anything that's, like, cool and European and sleek, like, mm -hmm. any fashion-forward guy in America is like, I'm going to get on top of this. Before other people do. Yeah. Before other people do, I'm going to make sure. Who are the people you watch when you're like, oh, I saw this person, this thing, and it's going to change how I dress? Ooh. <sighs> Who's, I'm trying to think. 
Okay, a lot of the inspiration currently definitely comes from Tyler, the creator. Like, right now, I'm wearing Luxol loafers mm-hmm. with socks, mm-hmm. with slacks, with, like, a fun sort of, I guess, is this velvet? Like, shirt. Uh, yeah. Like a, like a brushed suede. So, like, whenever Tyler started to, like, make things high prep, nerdy, and street all at the same time, you're like, okay, I'm gonna try to figure out what this looks like even uh, i wore a sweater vest on when i did cordon and i remember that year i saw someone wearing a sweater vest and i was like oh, okay hell yeah <laughs> and tyler is like the sweater vest king right now. yeah that's yeah, he, he, lo- he loves it with a t-shirt without a t-shirt dress shirt just under something so tyler the creator definitely uh gives me a lot of inspiration i also love a return to kind of like the stuff I was in love with in high school. So, and we can we could say this candidly. I was a big J. Crew guy because I was like a big Kanye West guy and a big prep guy because I went to school in 2000 and, 2004 to 2007. Okay. I was in high school, 2003, 2006. So that was like the height of like Kanye basically flipping a lot of prep stuff on its head. Yeah, wearing and all the polos. Wearing stuff, polo all bears, the polos. Backpack. But he was like, yeah, and he never went crazy Jersey Shore, like, three or four polos at the same time. But he went, like, <laughs> polo, polo bear. Uh-huh. He uh-huh. went, like, pastels. Kanye was wearing pink. Cameron was wearing pink, too. Like, I'm a big dipset guy, so, like, Cam was wearing pink. Cam was wearing pink in a way that, like, Kanye wasn't wearing pink, though. But I remember, like, I'd see, like, I specifically remember my first cable knit Ralph Lauren sweater. Like, baby blue with, like, a yellow horse. And it was, I think... It was like a silk cotton blend. And I remember being like, I'm going to hurt him with this. <laughs> I was like, that, listen, I was like, the school, I was like, y'all aren't even ready. We like, me, this is, this is me and my friends. This is me and Eric and Evan. So we were obsessed with, we are obsessed with sports, but also obsessed with Kanye West and then with the diplomats and then obsessed with fashion. So we would like, oh my, at one point, do you remember when the Donald J. Pliners were like huge? Oh yeah, yeah. I like, I reluctantly spent some of my hard-earned money on a pair of those shoes. Nice. In high school. It was like Donald J. Pliner, like Stacey Adams. I'm trying to think some of these other like... But like, oh my God, I just like wanted so... I just wanted so badly to be like, kind of like... And it worked. I got got nominated for Best Dress. Didn't win. What did (laughs) I win? I won Wittiest. I won Class Favorite. Never got Best Dressed. Well, here you are now. I think you, you've won quite a bit. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> it's still, I still remember being like, so who won? So yeah. who did win? <laughs> so do you, it's funny because you, you mentioned high school. Like, I feel like for so many people, no matter what happens in their success or in their life, like high school is still how they view themselves when they look in the mirror. Like for me, yeah. dead serious. I I dropped my daughter off at school and um, I didn't have the best high school experience, which is why I moved here. And a woman that I knew in high school was, she was like Mrs. Popular, yeah. like Miss Popular, the coolest woman ever. And she was there. And I was like, oh my at God. At school? Yeah, she's there. And her daughter is in 
my daughter's like kindergarten group. And it it floored me. And I was like scared to talk to her. Because in no. my head, all I thought about was, you know, it went, at my high school, we had three different levels of lunch tables. Okay. The top level was the freaks and the geeks, mm-hmm. which was me and the emo kids where we were drawn on our converse. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, then the middle level was the cool kids. Okay. They were the, they were like the, the popular people, the cheerleaders, the dudes wearing football jerseys. Yeah. And you sat there and the lower level was just like the younger kids and I and she was always dead center middle level the coolest person ever and I was scared to talk and even now when I'm like I'm like oh my god I'm like she's gonna be there I'm like (laughs) she's gonna see me and I'm like I can't do it and she's always like, hey, how you doing? And I'm like, um, uh, and it's is- like, I'm still a loser, man. <laughs> You're not a loser. But that is one of the tropes of writing about high school is that like the character of Jeremy is like, over here, she's going to be mean. Yeah. Her boyfriend from high school. And she was never mean gonna- to me. I'll be very clear. And so she comes over to you and she's like, what's up? And in your head, you're like, oh, no, this is definitely going to go terrible. Yeah. I was, this is, this is where I lose. I was definitely popular enough, but I maintained popularity through humor and through proximity to like other popular people because like I didn't play any sports, but I was friends with enough football players and made enough football players laugh that like it never really messed with me. I like did theater and because two other football players were doing theater and like there was never any sort of like oh theater was weird it was like oh okay like that's just yeah. kind of where like the charismatic dudes go and then I'll I'll like say this we had like we had so many kids at our school that like it was hard to figure out if someone was actually uncool we had like Ooh. 1400 kids at our school so like, 1400 I think we yeah like, I think we had like 1200 and then like we had like a class like each class had like a bunch of kids and like our freshman class was huge and like they would dwindle down and then they would get back up again because we were like uh we we're in jackson mississippi so we we're in the capital but then we were also the school that was connected with the we had like the most ap classes and we also had a connecting performing arts school so like mm-hmm. kids had to go there if they wanted to do the performing arts stuff at that school so we just had like a bunch of people so like you could easily just get lost in the sauce. Like, there was right. no way we could. Right. If someone was like, that nerd, we'd be like, which one? There are <laughs> a lot of nerds. Also, you're a nerd. Nerd? We both have the same AP U.S. history exam coming up. I don't know why you're calling people a nerd. Right. Yeah. It's it's wild. I just feel like I've met so many people and they'll like mention high school. And that's like, that's where in some of these cases, some of these people peaked. It's one yeah. of the reasons why I uh, jumped off Facebook. Cause I would, when I would have a dark, dark day, yeah. I would go on Facebook and I would be like, oh, there's the bully who messed with me. And he's kind of not doing good. And I'm like, well, here I, you know, and I'm like, I recognize that's absurdly toxic behavior. It was absurdly awful. And I, rec- you know, obviously I've been all sorts of different levels of therapy and all that stuff. But like, I was like, this isn't healthy either because I'm like trying to feel better by like the people. I mean, this dude literally fucking put a bike chain around my neck and would choke what? me when I was younger. What? Yeah, I swear to God. Jeremy. <laughs> so, no. So I was God, just like, I, I was like, was, I got to process this differently. I, I mean, I would, I think, I think the way I avoided bullies is that I just like can 
I, I've had a, like just a very, very good habit of like getting right next to the people that Smart. bullies would never mess with and then being funny enough for them to be like, okay, I really, maybe I want to say something mean to Jay, but will it be worth the mean or silly or funny thing he says back? Oh, and I could like, and I would like, I was part of like this little silly rap group. So like we at one point had like a little bit of rap beef with like the class right above us because they also had a rap group and they were like trying to challenge us because we, it was, it was so silly, but also so helpful because then if people found out that like you were witty and that you could rap, they'd be like, oh, we can't, we can't get into this because it's going <laughs> to be a whole a rap battle. Yeah, I remember the biggest, the biggest kind of like kind of stamp of approval I got is that one time someone was like, oh, they're going to challenge you to a rap battle in the bathroom. And it was against this guy named, I remember, I remember it like it was yesterday, Jeremy. It was against this guy whose nickname was Cord. His, I think his full name was like Cordarius, but like everyone nice. called him Cord. Okay. And I was like, oh, I got to, I was like, I got to come up with something. I get him. And I never, I'll never forget this because it was a line that I was like getting ready to put in the freestyle. And I was like, okay, how can I make sure that like I handled it? I was like, okay, I got this. And so what I said is I was like, Flo's the Incredible Hulk because it's stronger than you. Your girl called me extension cord because I'm longer than you. And like everyone in the bathroom was like, oh, shit. Eviscerated. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, shit. Jay can rap, rap. And I was like, yeah. And so that like bought me so much, like not only like street cred, but also like popularity. Cause even Core was like, okay, he got, that's a, that's a very good one. <laughs> when the person you're battling is like, that, who is this? What? So I, I just remember that moment. And then like, I was also friends with like a bunch of kids who didn't care about popular stuff. So like I always had like a refuge in them too. Mm -hmm, so like mm -hmm. I kind of like did the I did the glee thing before glee was even a thing where I was right. like play with hang out with the athletes, hang out with like the non-athlete popular kids and then hang out with the theater people and then you know just kind of figure out what I want to do that day. So you got kind of too big for high school and then your school because <laughs> you obviously end up here. I mean, it's, we're not trying to trace every yeah. single life path you, you took, but like, I mean, you, you kept ascending. Yeah, I remembered that I, I remembered that people in high school really enjoyed my comedy and like me doing comedic things. And I remember just being like, oh, okay, this is something that like I can focus on. But when you're younger and you're doing any sort of acting thing, there's this impetus, especially if you're a black male actor, for people to be like, be serious. Because what they want, what they kind of tell you is that I'll oh, be funny. You need funny, to be Denzel. 100%. <laughs> right. They think there's a natural inclination for you to be funny and for you to be kind of like loquacious and be like kind of a person that just warms up a room. And they think that is, they think that's easy for you. So what they want to do is, uh, as an acting teacher, any sort of acting instructors, like they want to stretch you before they kind of tell you what your sweet spot is. And so when you deal with that, you push back against some of your natural urges and your natural instincts to be funny. So you're like, no, I'm going to be serious. I'm going to focus on serious stuff. And then like you still get cast as like funny stuff and you just like right. keep going. Well, I mean, I could just. I mean, did you do like Shakespeare sort of thing? Yes, I did. Oh, here we go. So I went to, uh, I went to Ole Miss. I got a BA in English. I got a BFA in theater. Jesus. And then I went to the University of Alabama and got an MFA in theater. So I have three degrees and two of them, there was a lot of emphasis on like Shakespeare, not just like Shakespeare, like kind of nebulous Shakespeare, but like performing Shakespeare, 
scansion work. So like actually looking at the meter in Shakespeare, Shakespearean like literary like studies. So basically looking at the types of plays, looking at the tropes oh. established, looking at like something as as obvious, I guess now that we don't know how to talk about it, but like the the difference between like the urban and the pastoral, like basically Shakespeare's version of uh, Country Mouse, City Mouse, like whenever a comedy happens and it goes into the woods and they have to return to society at the end, like that's one big part of his work. Um, I think that like, Doing all that Shakespeare stuff also made me be like, okay, well, I just like modern comedy and I like stand up a lot. But your timing is incredible. Thank you. It's from acting. Well, I always look at stand up like as an acting job. I mean, because that's a difference. I feel like there's, I know people who are very good writers and they're very funny, but I've heard them deliver their own material and you're like, ooh, you like aren't listening to silence and and the timing of, of your and your cadence yeah. And your candor and your ability to quickly respond to to like basically like reset the whole room. And I feel like that's like one of the most like overlooked, underappreciated art forms in like comedy. And it's funny because when I first saw your stuff, you know, and obviously you did you did the show at Pally uh, when with uh, when you and I, uh, Pally did his show, too. And it's like just your timing on like how quick you could let a room breathe. Yeah. I was like, oh, like not only is the material good from a writing standpoint, but your ability to deliver that material is far better than any writer can write for you. And I'm like, yeah. God, this guy's it's it's over. It's over. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's tailored for me because I wrote it and I always think about my set basically as a script and then my job as an actor slash comic slash live performer is to enliven that script every time as if I'm just as happy the first time that I said it. So it's it's still part of like the the acting definition of like uh, reacting truthfully under imaginary circumstances because these are a set of words, thoughts, actions, movements, and connections and phrases that I've said before and that I've done before for, but actually making sure that I'm fully embodying them like they're new, that's the trick. And some people's version of that is kind of being extremely casual mm -hmm. with the material and kind of like throwing it away or kind of like treating it as if it's being like birthed that moment. I kind of take a much more like, I guess like, like 70s, 80s approach to it. Like I love selling your knives i love really being like this is gonna be a good thought and we're gonna have fun and you're gonna enjoy this moment and also enjoy this moment and you can turn things from direct address into an aside back into a direct address so i treat it like acting because to have to say it that much i have to act happy and i have to act intentional about it is the confidence that you have then is where does that come from is it from what you're wearing is it from oh what, your mindset like it's what? from it's from these very funny thoughts that i get to share with people or it's uh the confidence also comes from like me having been on stage since i was 12 so i'm never i'm never uncomfortable on stage even if there's moments of discomfort that are like kind of established between me and someone else i'm hyper aware that this discomfort is gonna make the audience laugh because of the way that I handle it. Audiences only get uncomfortable if they think no one is in control. If an audience mm -hmm. has like 
a bit of like secret knowledge, basically dramatic irony. If an audience knows something that I don't know, or if an audience knows something they think I don't know, even though I probably do know it as an actor or as a stand-up comedian, they go, ooh, we have information that they don't have. We're going to laugh at this kind of tension getting built up. Yeah. So like audiences are very fun, not only to like interact with, but to experience. And as a comic, I love it. I I I know it's not it's not 100% a dialogue when it actually comes to like words, but it is a dialogue and very dynamic when it comes to energy exchange and interplay and like kind of playing on what they think they know and playing on what people expect. And part of the confidence of being really on stage and like kind of like very much in my comedy bag comes from having done it for so long, I I really have been on stage since I was like eleven in front of strangers. I was that weird kid who was like, my mom was like, "I'll come to every performance." I was like, "Just come to the one you want to come to," because there are lots of other people mm-hmm. who are gonna be there, mm-hmm. and like I want them to have a good time. And I never, I never was scared. I always was like, "Oh, what a cool opportunity!" How like this? I would ask this to anyone, but I'm just so concerned. Like, how are you not scared or thrown off? Because I even, so like I was in a band and mm-hmm. I, it took me a long time to warm up to the fact that what happened is it was happening. You yeah. were, you're out of control. And when I've seen you on stage too, is I'm like, well, he's just in control. And like in some, some comedians embrace the lack of control. And then what ends up happening is there's this empathetic relationship that's formed. Yeah. And when you watch someone bomb, you're like, ooh, uh, I kind of feel sorry for him, but they seem to take it in stride. I'm okay. Yeah. When you're up there, you're destroying the room and people are just like cheering for you. And it's like, well, how do you do that? Like in a sense where you're also, because you're not an arrogant person. No, I'm confident. I think my confidence it really was built up by my mom. My mom is, my mom was a special ed teacher for 30 years, but my mom also always kind of like let me know that it was okay to speak up. It was okay to oh. like say something if I wanted to. She never really stifled that impulse. And she talks about this all the time. Sometimes it came back to like <laughs> surprise her. When I was four, she put me in a pre-K program and um, my dad would drop me off and the first two days I let my dad like hold my hand like walk me up to the door and then I want to say like that second week I was like you can just drop me off here I'm gonna walk in by myself my dad was like I'm not gonna have you're you're four you're not walking in by yourself (laughs) I was like no but like I want to walk into the school by myself and so that confidence was established pretty early and then I think around around sixth grade, so that's when I started doing, like, that's when I started taking theater courses. I just, I had one moment where my mom was like, well, if you want to do this, you have to remember that every time you do it, you should do it like you care about it. You should really try. My mom was a big proponent of me trying. And sometimes I, sometimes I feel like people can get away from that. Like effort isn't cool. Effort isn't cool. Effort. Yeah. Effort isn't cool. Ego is the devil. You have to be super humble. And so everyone's just walking around embarrassed with themselves. Yeah. And everyone's also walking around kind of not proud of what they say or not happy to like share this experience or these words or this like joke with people and so audiences are a bit surprised and happy and relieved when someone goes oh no no, i promise i'm gonna take care of you that's my job as a stand-up comedian is 
service industry, not in the traditional sense, but in the sense that like I have a service to provide for paying customers. It's like right there on like, it's like the on the periphery. It's like kind of adjacent to hospitality because I have to be hospitable. I have to ingratiate you in this space, even if it's like a fake version of that where I'm fake mean to you, but I'm still giving right. you this thing. Right. And like, my only job is to make that audience enjoy that limited amount of time with me. And that can be done through providing truth, through providing like kind of like fun lies. It can be provide. it can happen through me kind of like holding up a mirror. But my only job as a stand-up comedian, in my opinion, is to get them to laugh. Now, you can have your rules about what you feel comfortable doing to make people laugh, what you feel comfortable saying to make people laugh. But your only job is to is to get a plurality of those people to be able to laugh at the same time repeatedly and then do that nightly throughout the country, which is an insane <laughs> concept. It's it's absurd. I mean, it's I, it's absurdly difficult. I mean, obviously, and because your demographic and your your the people that are in your audience, you don't necessarily have control over ninety ever of the time, right ever and. Wait, 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 wait a second. I got to get my bids in on the Bezel app, but more on that in, in a minute. I get all sorts of emails and questions from you all, which I love to read and respond. And one thing I constantly get and even read in the Blamo Slack is what watch should I buy and where should I get it? It's a wild world out there with all sorts of websites and shops, but I go to Bezel. Bezel is the trusted marketplace for buying and selling your next luxury watch with expert in-house authentication on every purchase. First off, folks, it's getbezel.com. That's getbezel.com. But I use and recommend Bezel because it's the best of both worlds. You can go to the site and browse a marketplace of luxury watches, over 16,000 of them, by the way, which is a lot. And I know that Bezel is going to authenticate your purchase. Or you can create an account and get connected with your own private client advisor called the concierge. Because look, making a watch purchase can be confusing, especially when you don't know all the reference numbers. When was this made? Did they use ceramic then? Is it a triple lop, dingle top? You know, what the heck? I don't even know. But they do at Bezel, and they're here to help. Concierge, baby. Look, if looking for your watch to mark a special occasion, or maybe you're just doing research, right? They even have their own journal where you can learn all the ins and outs about Bezel and the brands and all the stuff that's happening right now. But back to my bids. Yes, Bezel now has auctions. And not just any auctions. They got Rolex, they got Cartier, they got Audemars Piguet, all the big dogs and more. So you can discover, bid, and know the Bezel team has got your back with verified in-house authentication. So visit getbezel.com on your smartphone or computer, Bezel, the trusted marketplace for buying or selling your next luxury watch. You have people who know for a fact going into it that they want to be obstinate. There is nothing harder and more, and I guess Jesse talks about the book, and more magical also than saying, hey, people slash person, I'm going to make you laugh. And they go, no, you're not. And you go, no, no, no. I promise I'm going to make you laugh. And they go, that's, I'm here to laugh, but how dare you make that assumption? Yeah. And then usually you can crack people. I had a guy last night at, uh, at the, uh, downstairs, his arms were crossed. Well, you were here last yeah, night? Yeah, I was here. Oh, I was shit. Here. Okay. He was, uh, <laughs> he, his, uh, his arms were crossed and he like looked at me 
And he, I think I was like two jokes in. And then I knew I was going to have one that was really going to get him. And I have this one joke where I do kind of use a sound effect. Like I use an onomatopoeia sound effect. Uh, and it, it cracked him. I just saw him be like, I saw his posture change. I saw him laugh. And I saw him after the show. And he was like, man, you're funny. And I was like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no and shit. you enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah. So one time after the show, someone said, man, you did really... Yeah, great job. And I was like, yeah, I like to think, I like to think that was fun. Just because now we're kind of in a world where like, I don't know if people enjoy intentional humor as much. Like even like now we're doing a podcast, Jeremy. Yep. And some people's version of funny is a podcast where like there's discomfort between us. Yeah. And that version of humor is purely kind of like scopophilic like it can only it we aren't enjoying it as much as the people who watch it will enjoy it yeah so it's for a very specific medium but like my comedy the way i do my stand-up it's to being like i'm enjoying it you can tell i'm enjoying it and you can also tell that the audience is enjoying it and i don't really like to have an extra step well yeah and i think too the stuff that you've discussed is very thought-provoking and i think only comedians i don't believe there's any other artist in history that can cause someone to re-examine something that they were very stubborn on and, reco- <laughs> and recognize that there not only is there a different opinion on that but because i think a lot of comedy is obviously rooted in truth yeah right and i'm not trying to get all philosophical but like you know you've you've made jokes about uh you know things that are happening in the political system yeah. and abortion and all these things and they're great and they're very and you're like oh yeah wait that is that wait that what he said is true and that is inter- like, how do I feel about that? And I feel like that's the highest art form of comedy is you obviously you're entertained, right? Yeah. But I can be entertained by anything, you know, you yeah. know, and I don't say that to belittle comedy. Banana pill, stepping on a right. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. You know, and but when you when something is entertaining, but also thought provoking post the event. You're like, damn, that's good comedy. I like the And it, it's part of like growing up in the South and having very kind of like not Southern sensibilities, but discussing religion, race, yep. money, queerness in yeah. any sort of way. Whereas that you can get a chuckle out of people. You can also give a wink and a nudge letting people know what side of the argument you're on and get people who might be on the other side to also laugh. It's like a combination of three different things when you're marginalized because you're aware that the powers that be could easily go, that's not funny. I feel a different way. And what you want them to do is go, okay, you got me. I'm not listening. (laughs) I'm not going to vote for him, but you got me. Yeah, you got me to giggle a little bit. Yeah, I did, when I did, uh, I did a show in oh my gosh, in Royal Oak, like right outside of Detroit, and it was kind of like at the height of Kid Rock being like oddly transphobic. And I made a joke. I was like, Kid Rock hates trans women, but loves big hard fake titties. <laughs> I'm just not getting the disconnect. And like uh, the guy, there was a guy there who was like, "Woo!" <laughs> and I don't know if he wooed for Kid Rock. I don't know if he wooed for my observation. But that guy definitely is going to be like, "Okay, let's start thinking about some stuff." And even if he isn't thinking about it now, in that moment, he did have to go. Okay, you got me. You yeah. got me. And sometimes that's all you want. Yeah, I mean, you're forced to reconsider your own opinion and stubbornness because someone is making light of it. I mean, I, I it, Mel Brooks 
talks about this stuff too. Like in, I'm, you know, I'm not this like Mel Brooks apologist, but he's like a relatively flawless individual. <laughs> and he, um, he wrote that like, uh, laughter is basically like a protest against the long goodbye. Like he Ooh. basically talks about like how, like if you can laugh at something, you're able to, you're able to embrace it. You're able to like, I mean, I'm, I'm somewhat misquoting him, but it's, he basically just talks about how like it is the armor that you need to be with things that are uncomfortable. Yes. Yes. And especially like as a black person, as a queer person, as a person who grew up like less, less than rich, my mom worked her ass off, but like I was, I was hyper aware of so many things whenever I started to like really want to do comedy and I would watch comedy and I would see people talk about certain things. And I didn't necessarily even know how kind of, I didn't know how groundbreaking some of the stuff that they were talking about was to me, but I Mm -hmm. was like, okay, there's a formula to this. There's fun being had. This is still performance, but it's like a heightened version of them. I really like this. I would have, I would stand up and watch Comedy Central in my, me and my brother shared a room. I would watch Comedy Central on the TV, on the dresser. And I would just watch it like a, like a, like a, just a crazed individual because I would stand there and I'd be like, okay, oh, all right. I would watch, I watch, I watch Elephant in the Room. I watch Patrice's special. I watched Wanda's. I watched Jim Gaffigan in the cornfield. I remember just staring at the TV and watching I Love the Insert Here with like mm-hmm. a bunch of comics on it. I would watch. What else? Oh, Last Comic Standing. Oh, yeah. On great. NBC. Yep. I would watch insomniac with david tell i would watch Chappelle's show i would watch whenever the comics i would go i would watch e and then whenever howard stern would have a comic on i would watch that oh, man i would watch you got it from every source well because cable cable really sort of raised me in the sense that like i wanted to be hyper aware of everything and i had all these varied interests and i like was so i was just so fascinated that people were funny on tv and it got to me and made me laugh at home in mississippi i was like how they how are they doing this Right. They don't know I'm watching, but they're cracking me up. Do you think, like, what's an underappreciated comic that you think that Ooh. many people don't think? Because a lot of people, it's like, oh, 90s, it was just Sam. Yeah. You know, or I, I don't know. Um, A person who I, like, I'm always going to celebrate Maria Bamford just because of the way that she sneaks stuff in. And because sometimes she, like, has vocal affectations, people will think, oh, that's silly. But you'll be like, that's so good and so dark. Yeah. Chignataro, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's just, I mean, Maria Bamford. And also... I think even before Wanda Sykes came out, she was like really just a person who I loved watching. I just love, and then when she came out, after she came out, after I'm gonna be me, I was teaching. I was teaching theater for non majors at the University of Alabama, and every now and then I would have like a moment where I was like, what are you, "Let's watch TV, but how can I make this education?" <laughs> okay, we're in the comedy section. Of our syllabus, so we'll watch sketch and we'll watch some stand up because stand up is theater. One of mm-hmm. the first things you tell kids, you'll be like, so much of the things that you don't understand as theater or theatrical, it's theater. It's mm-hmm. theater. It's theater. You, I mean, we had this whole thing that we would do because we were at the University of Alabama. We'd be like, well, football is also theater in a sense. Sure. <laughs> there's a script, there's a director. 
There are featured performers. There's a time. There's a place. It's ephemeral. It can only happen this one time. There's an audience. And so there's storylines. So it's theater. It's not theater in the traditional sense, but it's theatrical. So whenever we would like have the comedy section of our syllabus, I'd be like, oh, let's watch stand up. And it's it was just me wanting to watch stand up and show them stand up clips. I remember watching I'm gonna be me and I was like, Wanda Sykes is so good. She's so good and so funny and so dynamic and has such a point of view and has such an interesting voice and has such an interesting take and is from the South and also queer and a black woman. And I was just yeah. like, what are we doing? At one point, I also, <laughs> I think I sh- I'd show them like a Key and Peele, I'd show them a Key and Peele sketch. And I'd be like, so, so we're going to discuss parody and satire. And by that, I mean, we're going to watch some sketches today. <laughs> <laughs> and like my, like my, uh, the guy who was like, my advisor was like, the kids really like your comedy section. I was like, yeah, watch a lot of TV. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, the other thing I'm curious about too, where is like, there's because of this sort of era of social media and like 24 seven news cycle. Now, when people think about comedians or performers in general, there is a depth of a relationship that is almost required. Yeah. And which people are like, yo, I like Jay Jordan because one, like he's, he goes to the gym and he's super fit and he looks really cool and he's got cool clothes and he's got cool this. And it's like, even though the comedy is like your whole career and your craft, People want to have all these different levels of relationship with the performer. And I think it was always there, but now people have even more access to it and they can document it and we document it for them in such a way. So like people, one of the last clips I just put put up, someone, (laughs) this isn't me. This is, first of all, shout out to my husband. Someone was like, I'm actually just here for the watch. And I was like, okay. Oh, your tank? Yeah, for the Cartier. And so it was... (laughs) It, it's the same thing as like I think I wrote that <laughs> <laughs> no there was another person okay. who like tagged a watch thing oh snap okay never mind never mind so it, they like tagged like a watch because they like wanted me on the, a watch thing and so I remember I remember not necessarily not necessarily wanting to be like fashion forward in my comedy clips but like getting excited about people kind of being like oh this is what jay's like kind of into right now yeah like fashion wise so like that is part of it for me like i love i love kind of presenting like me through my clothes so then people are either surprised or they go oh that's what i expected Cause like this is one version of me, but I just I was like on stage a couple of weeks ago with Mateo, and I was wearing this like Harley Davidson shirt that I got from a thrift shop in yeah. Grand Rapids, and like cargo pants, and like some Solomon XT, like the Gore-Tex joint. Okay, because okay. it was because it was raining. Fit. Yeah, but yeah. like that's like a different dude. But that's also still me because I love tactical shit too. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm old, <laughs> Jeremy. I don't think enough people know this about me. If you Say it's Gore-Tex, Cordura, or like Ripstop, and I don't have it. I'm always like, do I need waterproof stuff? Do I need? <laughs> it's gonna rain. It's gonna. This is this is how I know I have a problem. I have those, and then I also have some Gore-Tex New Balances, uh, 2002 R's, mm-hmm. and then I have like the gray ones. I have the gray, like the gray ones, Ooh. uh, with the blue in, and then I have. Like the Amelie Andor Mount Rainier, the Gore-Tex that also have a pair. 
also have a pair of boots that hunter a little like little kind of booties oh nice. i just like get so i hate being wet i hate my feet being wet if your feet have ever been wet in new york city you understand true pain you have been through hell because <laughs> there was a flood two years ago oh, you remember yeah. I do remember that. I wasn't here, but I remember people were like, they're brownstones and all this stuff. It's just like walking around and it's like no. Katrina up here. I mean, it was nuts. It was insane. You will never catch me slipping now. Yeah. You just won't. You, it, it's gonna. So you're Gore-Tex out now. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> like, also, I think that like, I know that like people have other ways to waterproof things. And like, you can have like, have something waxed. And like, acting but that, like that's that's water resistant. See, I only say it because like true waterproof, you know, is yeah, is like a breathable fabric. Yeah. First off, but like anyone that's wearing a barber, yeah, I mean, I have a barber in my closet in here, yeah. and it doesn't breathe because <laughs> it just is like, let's just coat you in non-breathable wax. Yeah, that's then gonna like shed and erode, and it's gonna smell like an awkward crayon. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like you don't want that you need a good shell you need like three layer and you need dwr repellent on your stuff i even have i have um and this is the jacket that gets when you're around comics also if you take a fashion swing they're gonna let you know about it <laughs> so i have like a, a studerheim or a studentheim like like yellow raincoat. Yeah, that's like the Norwegian raincoat. My yeah, husband yeah. got it for me because he's such a good gift giver, but he also knows, like, I love, I love a raincoat. I had like a K-Way before. Okay. That was like a gray kneeling joint. And so like, I finally got like the big, iconic, like Swedish raincoat. You're walking around like Paddington, man. All 100%. Right. 100%. <laughs> Gordon's Fisherman, Paddington Bear, Little Morton Salt Girl. I've heard it all. Like they said, I've, and guess what? I like it. I love it. I love that big, loud yellow jacket. Is the but it don't breathe. No. It does not. Breathe. You're steaming in that. You're getting a sweaty back, You're getting man. Cooked. It's rough. Yeah, <laughs> it's rough. It's so. Wait, do you have a bunch of other shells too? Oh, got some no, Arcteryx. You got some? No, I haven't. I haven't got into any of the Arc stuff. I want an Arcteryx. I don't want to be a poser though. I'm not full. I haven't gone full Gorp core. I, oh, okay. I, I, cause like, cause then people are gonna be like, well, Jay ain't outside enough. Cause I'm not. I'm not outside enough. None of the people who are wearing that <laughs> stuff are outside enough. But they seem like they're outside. That's just cause where the pictures they take are. I'm not on any mountains. I'm never on a mountain. They're like, I went to the Catskills one day and I no. spent $2,000 on gear. <laughs> I'm never on any mountain. So whenever I see like people fully decked out and like, you know, full like climate proof year i'm always like oh i wish i could like my big outdoor thing is like now i have like i have enough jackets that i'm not worried part of being stylish when you're a, a male comic it's just like and this is a secret anyone who wants to look like a cool male comedian a lot of <laughs> nice enough t-shirts even more jackets that's it that's yeah. all it is t-shirts and jackets you People will be like, oh, man, he can't be stopped. Just T-shirt and jackets. That's true. Just switch out the T-shirt, jackets, maybe like a heavy, a work shirt. That's it. That's all you got to do. We're in this like overshirt sort of. Chore mid- jacket. Yeah, like the chore coat, the, the mid-weight jacket. Yes. The, 
Yeah, the knits, all that. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Because if you buy enough like heavy duty tees and you just rotate those and have fun color combos, people are gonna be like, "Oh wow!" And it's this, it's a, like a tiny elevation. It's not even something that people think to do because they go, "Oh, and I gotta get more and more graphic tees." And you're like, "Well, if you just get a bunch of plain shirts and like have them on rotation and then switch the jackets out, you're kind of like touche." Yeah, people won't even know. Do you ever? Do you ever? performance suits i don't think because even I when you were on cordon or, or fallon, no. no so my first fallon appearance when i first did the tonight show i went ted baker's sweater and a purple ted baker blazer and i remember being like i probably won't do a blazer again and so this past time i still went like military jacket and turtleneck i right. like okay so studios are always cold yeah so it's not whatever you're gonna when i did cordon sleeveless that was a mistake. Is they're cold. Studios are always cold. So you that's why people can get away with wearing suits sometimes. Right. Okay. Yeah, and I feel like there well, was the also host this is wearing a suit all the time. Yeah, there was also this like sort of uh, the traditional sort of like performer yeah. guy out there and it's like I got to wear a suit, you know. I never wore a suit. I think that like after 2020, you can actually see it happen. People really started to take bigger swings with their late night set outfits. Um because my friends that wore suits their first yeah. time, none of them wore suits their second time. None oh, interesting. Broussard didn't wear a suit his second time. Uh, I want to say, like, my boy Rob Hayes didn't wear a suit his second time. People, like, really... The post-mortem was they, like, They, they no wore suit. the suit for mom. You wear the suit for the first one. So the, so the parents... And the the significant other have cute pictures of you in a suit, and you go, let's let's get crazy on the second one. Let's act up a little bit. Yeah, it's true. What what do you what are the brands that you're that you're like buying and oh, I I once uh J Crew. I love Todd Snyder. I'm a big I'm a big like find something that Uniqlo and like pair it with things. So like I'll do like a high and low. I started getting into Noah. Of course, I have like some ALD stuff, but then I'm also like a classic. Like if you if you give me like if you give me money right now and you tell me to go oh. into uh into like a polo store, I can definitely find stuff. Yeah, I, I mean, could, I could definitely find like and people are like, how? I'm like, no, I could definitely. I like I'm. I'm a millennial who grew up in the South. I can find some shit in Polo. Like Ralph Lauren, I can find some things. Yeah, that's like a brand that I feel like it just it, it just can't it can't miss. I mean, I love I love Ralph Lauren stuff, but there's always something there. And I mean, it's just because of all that those like little world buildings. It's like, do I want to look like a cowboy? Do yeah. I want to look like I'm in a British club? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And like people don't understand that like all of the styling and all of the kind of like lookbooks that you get now are rooted in an aesthetic that was established in the 90s by those polo kind of like iconic like styling and images. Like not like world building, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, that's the the ALD hot take is always. Um, I don't take credit for this. A friend of mine said it, but he was like, "It's white people appropriating black people that were appropriating like white." Polo. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like kind of being like, kind of like being in the ski chalet, but like your goggles are like cocked to the side a little bit. Yeah, like, that's what it is. 
Yeah, Jason Jules is an awesome author. He wrote this book called Black Ivy. And you realize like all, I mean, uh, Tower of the Creator was a huge fan of it. And I mean, it's just all about how like, like black people in general just like really, really like push the Ivy thing beyond a level that anyone could. Oh, and you know what it is. The minute you tell us we can't have something, we buy it. And then we go, I got that shit on. (laughs) What you going to do now? I got that shit. You told me I couldn't wear it. What you, what's, is it, what, what are you going to do? Huh? Yeah. It's like Miles Davis in a blue Oxford and yeah. Chinos did far more than like, I don't know, any other white dude ever. I mean, it just, it's, I don't know. It's just the effortless cool. And I love it. I know so many people online right now think it's like this like frat boy uniform, but I still love a, a good weighty Oxford sleeves yeah. rolled up. It could be like with some like like a straight leg pair of jeans and like whatever neutral sneakers or whatever crazy sneakers you want to pair it with. But like I'll see there was a video recently Whereas all these guys kind of walk into a frat house and people were like talking about the frat uniform. I was like, listen, if you just wear it once to a summer party, it's it kind of slaps to me. Yeah. If if the outfit, if the outfit is for a day party where you're gonna have a couple beers. And it's like a polo you feel comfortable in, shorts or chinos you feel comfortable in, and like a fun summer shoe. I can't hate on that. Well, I mean, it's funny because I feel like people associate like the the frat culture, I'm air quoting, with like these styles. And it's like, no, I don't think anyone like, whenever someone gets dressed, they have like the idea of like, this is how I'm going to look in my head. Yeah. No one is thinking some sort of like absurd frat dude. They're yeah. thinking of like, I don't know, JFK Jr. Yeah. Or some sort of, you know... Like aesthetic that might have different, you know, uh, roots and some of that stuff. But no one's like, I want to look like a frat guy. Like, it just doesn't exist. And I think that, like, even the boys who want to look like frat guys, they want to look like they're friends more so than they want to look silly. Yeah, I agree. They kind of want to dress like they're homeboys more than they want to, like, dress like the enemy. Yeah, it's like dudes that are wearing Carhartt right now. They don't want to look like an individual who is actually working in the road in Carhartt. (laughs) They want to look like Austin Butler wearing Carhartt. (laughs) Yeah, or they want to look, they want to look cool enough, but, like, not do anything. Because some of this is also accessibility and comfort level with what men feel like they're allowed to wear, the kind of limited scope of, like, what men feel like they still look cool and masculine in. Cause like that is part of it. It's also a bit of like the prison of masculinity. It's like, well, I don't know if I don't, I don't know if I can. I don't know. One of my friends. Can I pull this off question? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of my friends is very, very gregarious on stage, very animated, very confident. And he literally was having like lemma. I was like, you don't want to go tank top, camp collar shirt, and like fun, kind of slightly bigger pants. Like, I was like, you're very Italian. All this stuff is like very much in your lane. Yeah, it sounds great. definitely pull it off. He was like, I don't know. And that was a genuine fear. He was like, well, I I, I look silly. I don't know if I can do this. He's like, you look great in it. like, what did you wear in high school? I'm telling you, it's all going to go back. (laughs) I was like, I'm wearing this right now. If I'm wearing this, you can wear this. I was like, you can go point by point, just different colors and different items. Um, you can just recreate this. And he was like, can I? I was like, yes, I promise you can. So there's yeah. a bit of that, that fear, that hesitancy. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I feel like even, you know, like last night I would met up with a friend 
and he's a like clothing designer and I had his jeans on and I'm like, man, is this the equivalent of wearing the band shirt to the concert? <laughs> and I'm just like, should I change? And I'm like, well, maybe he won't notice. And I'm just like, this is so stupid. And I was like, I can't believe I'm like freaking. I was like, should I go back and change before I meet? I mean, it was just, it's dumb, but I feel like no matter what, no matter how confident people are, unless they're you, there's still something that in their head that's like, maybe I can pull this off. Maybe, maybe someone's going to call me out. I, I, when I think you get a pass whenever you're queer, whenever you're a queer man in some fashion circles, you do get one extra, you get a little bit of extra wiggle room where you get to go. And if you don't like it, you just don't get it. (laughs) That's true. You don't, I'm not, you don't get a couple months from now. You're gonna see, because my husband plays with like way bigger swings. So he plays with like he was playing with crop tees well before anyone oh, else wow, was like okay. really doing it. He like loves pops of color. He he like he bought me a pair of shoes that then I saw an article about, and people were like, "Oh, these are like gonna be." He bought me a pair of the um. He bought me the Joe Fresh Goods um. 610s before like they like really popped off and then I was like like, (laughs) great call and he knows I love sneakers but he also knows that like I'll get like stuck I'll get so stuck oh if it was up to me sometimes they'd be like oh great Jay another pair of 990 V3s like I have too many have too many, Love Jeremy. I do not want to say. I see. I saw the before. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was like, yeah, I have them. No, no, no. <laughs> Teddy, I love Teddy. Say, Teddy, Teddy. I want you to know you have done physical damage to my <laughs> bank account. You have hurt me, Teddy Santos. If you're listening to this. Uh, All right. Yeah, but, I was gonna say here you come in the next ALD lookbook. I would love it, but I mean, listen, as a comic, as a comic, there's also this really cool thing you get to do where you. You kind of get to show people that comics can look cute because there is the prevailing notion that we are a stained T-shirt, blue jeans, Nike yeah. dunks only. Yeah. Yeah. There was, there was a time where if you saw someone with a new pair of dunks, you'd be like, when's the special come out? <laughs> Did you wear those? Did you go dunks? <laughs> you went dunks, varsity jacket, T-shirt? Okay. Yeah. And not for nothing, I get why. It's a very masculine, Americana take right. on. Like, judge my comedy, not my clothes sort of thing. 100%. And so many people do it. They do Letterman jacket or they do bomber jacket, T-shirt, jeans, expensive shoes. I never shoes. really thought of it. You're absolutely you, right. When you, okay, so Diego Lopez, who is a comic and, uh, and an MMA instructor and also also a very fashion aware individual. Whenever he started being like, if you put on that bomber jacket, I'm gonna call you out. When he started <laughs> like showing how many people wore the bomber jacket jean shoes combo, because it is comfortable and I know why people do it, but like whenever you're a comic and you come out in some loafers, you come out in some you come out in some boots, you come right. out in bigger pants you come out in patterned pants you come out maybe in an overshirt and a tank top with some jewelry whenever you just have these little these little tweaks audiences do note it because they'll go oh okay yeah wait a minute so i like that i don't there's no part of that i dislike at all do you ever see yourself going full chappelle and wearing like your initials wearing my on? merch <laughs> uh wearing my own initials Nah, I just can't do it. Y'all, I'll also probably never wear a green, 
a like parachuting outfit. <laughs> yeah. He, but the big thing about Chappelle right now, besides like some of the content, you know, everyone online is like ricked out. He's ricked he's out. All, he's it's all Rick Owens. All Rick Owens. He's ricked out. Yeah. He's ricked out. He's got the geo baskets. <laughs> he's got the double layer tee. I mean, woo. And I never, I've never expected that from him because that wasn't Yasin Bey and Talib Kweli and Common's aesthetic. And that's where he was during the Chappelle show. Right. Even with color scheme, like a lot of track jackets with jeans, with hats or track jacket, kind of dress shirt. Like I remember seeing this combination of things. And that's also where we were style-wise in hip hop right then, mm-hmm. especially for like kind of like very, very cool, but also very socially conscious and aware hip hop. You know, Quest Love. Like yeah. Black Thought, like he was there in that kind of style category, right? And right. now he's like he's he's, he's kind of Parisian he's, ninja. He's he's dressing like a Playboy Cardi a little <laughs> bit, which which is fine, but like it is wild. Yeah, it is. Yeah, that's true. I mean, where where he was, especially with like Talib and all those other dudes. I don't know. That's yeah, it was very like, at the time very LRG. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Very that. I love looking at it, though, because as a black person, whenever you, whatever style like you see on the black body, and I probably do need to read Black Ivy now, you see it so heightened because all of the the, the standard, the form is to see that style on a white person. And you use that equation to go, okay, that's what that means. So you see someone in a rugby and you go, okay, okay. But you see a black guy in a rugby, you go, is this subversive rugby? But wait a second. Right. Big jeans. But wait a second. Tim's, but untied. But wait a, wait, wait a minute. Yeah. Wait a minute. Oh, that's true. You're like, oh, is it Tyson Beckford? Is this what is right? it? Yeah, 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 I know you're right. It's like it, everything has a bit more to say when it comes into contact with, with black skin when it comes to fashion. Even like, even now, one of the biggest things I'm seeing, and it actually makes me very happy, one of the biggest things I'm seeing is that, like, whenever, uh, whenever, like, the black queer girlies now, like, get ready, like, they're showing more and more skin in this, like, early 2000s, kind of, like, Y2K, mid-drift, low-rise jeans, yep, yeah. very structured, but also, like, going, like, going out clothes are back in. And now, like... There is a time where you could be like, oh, girls are dressing basic. But you're like, no, this isn't basic. This is like something else. This is like very intentional. Yeah. Seeing people with like the baby, baby tank tops, the low rise jeans that are like. Now I saw last night, I saw a bunch of kids like in Dime Square wearing like flared legs. And And I'm like, oh, boy. And it's coming back. It's coming back. And I'm 35, so, like, it's coming back to stuff that, like, not stuff I kind of remember, stuff I bought. Like, that. Like, we, and we can talk about Abercrombie coming back, too, and, like, people, like, a lot of men in their, like, mid-20s and 30s are treating Abercrombie like the new Aritzia for them, because they're like, I just want to go to some place where I can buy some stuff, and they want. They're getting their advice from the girls who are like, buy this, or dress like this. Yeah. And like Abercrombie coming back is, I think, so random, but also so kind of cool because you're like, well, okay. It's, it's like Put mid-level. a moose on it. Let's go. <laughs> but they're not, not moose on nothing. 
The, really? Moose is oh, the man, moose I is stand all corrected. Gone. The moose is gone. This is what they do now. They just play with like 90s and early 2000s like sizing. So like they're like pushing bigger jeans. They're pushing bigger sweats. They're pushing sweat shirts. They're pushing painter's pants. They're pushing these things that are like more loosely, like more loose. And it's not like that kind of like the the fall off of prep. They're like going back to like right before. I'm still anxiously awaiting the return of structure. Oh, okay. That was that was my brand. And then I, when I was younger, I'm 38, and I worked at a Banana Republic. Yes, and it was all about the Dawson pant. Ooh, the Dawson pant was. It's kind of similar to this Dicky pant, which was, but it, it was a little bit more flared. And so you had all the dudes wearing their Dawson pant. It was like a very dressier pant that had a little bit more, like I think, it had like almost a nine inch uh, opening on. Ooh, yeah. And then you would wear your square toes. Yes, and they had like this amazing rubber sold sort of like square toe loafer. And this is, I mean, to me, I think this is when Banana Republic was the fucking coolest brand. Yeah. And I'm, I don't know. I'm still anxiously awaiting. It's uh, it's Banana Republic, Banana Republic. I've seen some jackets from them that people were losing. There was a fringe jacket that like two of my, two of my Twitter mutuals were like, I need this. And I was like, is it, is it still there? Yeah. Should we get it? Should I get it? I don't know. I got that's the thing now is like I I because it's so easy to buy stuff online, I now I'm like, okay, I don't do the save to cart or any of that stuff. I'm just like, all right, let me just like think about this. At least for me, most of my stuff is like, you know what, I don't really need it because I'll go and I'll buy the stuff. Yeah. And then I'll look at it and I'm like, maybe I'll wear it. And I'm like, well, this actually doesn't fit with anything else I have. Yeah. And I just continue to wear the same blue shirts and white tees and whatever. So I don't know. I, I, I love a purchase that makes me buy other purchases. My <laughs> wallet does not. Uh, but I love, like I bought a pair of, of like rose colored shoes. And so now Ooh. I'm just like, they're de- they definitely like can be like a fun little pop shoe, but like also just like, okay, all right. Someone's like, when's the special? Play with some warmth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, when is the special? I think what I would wear during my first special, I don't know. I would, well, you did a special. No. Didn't you do one in like 2020? No. Oh, I did it. Maybe I did it was just a, a longer album. Set. Oh, that's done, okay. I've done TV appearances. For my special, I don't know. Part of me is part of me is hyper aware of like what what I wear says because and this is going to sound mean because if you wear something that is kind of uncool, people will talk about it. Yeah, they, that, I mean, that's the thing I was saying. But I think based on this conversation that we've been chatting for about for a while, like you are above reproach. You can just kind of. You can yeah, be you, but here comes I mean, the pink suit and the pink shoes. Let's go. No, because even okay, leave this in. <laughs> even even what Chris Rock wore in his latest special, everyone, everyone was like, I know a lot of people wanted to talk about like the the content and the slap part at the end, like, yeah. blah, blah, blah. But like what he wore, a lot of my friends were like, and what was this? fit like like whatever notes they had as far like what opinion they had on the material like no matter what so many of my friends were like i didn't get i didn't get the fit (laughs) and did you see i gotta show you no i don't i don't i mean i did watch part of the special i gotta see yeah yeah what is it no because like it was it was definitely a i'm looking this up right now wait is it this this white thing yes oh yeah yeah what is this sort of white savior looking right 
Yeah, okay. Chris Rock's selective outrage. Yeah, but like, like the yeah, it's it's. Uh, I don't know. I wouldn't say it's jarring, but it is. Uh, no, it's you not we- expected. That's what I'm saying. You wear all white, and I think they're like docks that are kind of platformed and like a jean with some bunching. It's like it's the just, Fear of God 2000, you know, 15. Look, yeah, yeah, it's like it's. It's definitely not not noticeable. It's something that because if it would have just been like Chris Rock and all black, Chris he's done tons of specials in suits. Sure, yeah, like yeah. you know, what I mean? he I, he had that beautiful purple jacket at the Oscars. You know what I mean? Like I know, I think, and that that jacket might have been velvet. Like I remember the things that Chris Rock's Chris Rock wears because like when he like nails it, you kind of go, oh shit, okay, that's like. So that was a moment when I was like, what is this? Yeah. I don't know. And like the tag was still on. Oh, the tag was still on? Or there was like a visible tag Ooh. that was maybe oh, intentional. No, that, yeah, it's got to be intentional. No way. But like, what's, what does that say? Like the tag wasn't, I don't know. There you go. There you go. I don't know. It's, it's, I mean, so that's why whenever, if, you know, knock on wood, if I get a special, like the first thing is like, when? what, when, when I get a special, the first thing is kind of like material set. Okay. Location. Great. Which city? Great. Now let's think about these clothes. Let's yeah. think about. Are you going to do, bit. maybe you do a wardrobe change halfway through? Ooh, what I would do if I wanted to show people different clothing is that there would have to be some sort of BTS there you just go. to see what I was like casually wearing. Like I, I also like really got in, I really got into I really got into like thrifting a bit more, but thrifting now for me is that whenever I go on the road, I want to go to their thrifts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like thrifting on the road is now a fun little thing I get to do. Like I've done it, I've done it for the past two shows. Like I've done it in Toronto and I've done it in Grand Rapids and I'll probably do it again in Indianapolis. Like I love doing that because it also gives me one thing to do when I'm there. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean you probably got a lot of time to kill. Yeah. You get there. Yeah. But also like I found a crazy old miss jacket in Grand Rapids. Like in uh my opener Lucia, she was like, you kind of have to buy this. I was like, yeah. yeah. It's like a bike. It fit? Yes. Yeah. It's oh I'll Hold on, I gotta send it. I'll show you. Cause yeah, like we'll put it in the show notes. That never, it never, that never happens. Like, could you imagine? Like an old, like an old man. Like that's what the back looks like. That's good, right? That looks good. And yeah, you got that, the like, classic sort of coach's jacket. Yes. But you can't wear that on set though, because someone's gonna call you out. It's like here he is. He's wearing the coach's jacket. He's wearing the, you know. He's got the dunks. But that but also like that's the jacket you wear for like a fun show. You wear it when people ask about you being so you wear it so you can bring up the fact you went to Old Miss. You that's go to true. tailgating, you go to tailgating that, only the old heads really ha- would have that. The double old miss. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, Jay, thank you. Thank you so much for doing this. Oh, thank you for having me. This means a lot. Good. Well, I, it was my pleasure. Before we wrap, though, is there anything you want to add or mention that I didn't discuss or like, oh, you didn't ask me this or I wanted to plug this or whatever? Ooh, um, I'm on tour right now. I mean, all my social media handles are just at Jay Jordan. Yeah, we'll I link it up. You, I think you do a good job of, I think you did a good job asking me all this stuff. Well, thank you. Yeah. It was my pleasure. All right, we'll chat soon. See ya. All right, that's it for this week. Special thanks to Jay for coming on. Check out jjordan.com for his current and upcoming tour. 
Our show is produced by Blamo Media. We're edited by Amarlal, and our theme music by the Mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. If you like the show, tell a friend. It actually does help with weird, you know, I don't know, um, ranking algorithms, but whatever. Uh, give us five stars on reviews. Do do all the things you do when you like stuff. If you want more Blamo, you can join us on Patreon for exclusive shows, including Blamo Presents Die Workwear and the Triple J Show. There's a lot of good stuff on there. Last but not least, the amazing Slack community. All right, so you can visit at patreon.com forward slash blammo and check out all the good stuff. All right, folks, see you soon.